The final battle is kind of magnificent. I found myself thinking of the visionary films of the silent era, like Lang's Metropolis and Murnau's Faust, with their desire to depict fantastic events of unimaginable size and power, and with their own cheerful reliance on visual trickery. Had they been able to see this scene, they would have been exhilarated. We see men and even an army of the dead join battle against orcs, flying dragons, and vast lumbering elephantine creatures that serve as moving platforms for machines of war. As a flaming battering ram challenges the gates of the city, we feel the size and weight and convincing shudder of impacts that exist only in the imagination. Enormous, bestial trolls pull back the springs for catapults to hurl boulders against the walls and towers of Minas Tirith, which fall in cascades of rubble, only to seem miraculously restored in time for a final celebration. Hey there, Tolkieners. I'm Danny J. I'm Joel N. I'm Trevor D. I'm Joe Vasky. And together, we are... Keep on Tolkien! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey there. Hey there, guys. This is PG-13 for a reason, part two! Yeah, part two of our Halloween special. This is episode 89, and uh, last episode just uh, ended up going a little longer than we anticipated. Yeah, so we got a whole other full-ass episode for you. May Halloween continue. May Halloween live forever in our hearts. It's just like the Hobbit trilogy. Oh, gross. <laughs> it just goes on. <laughs> just, just go back to season going. one, guys. Ugh. So just to recap, in the last episode, we covered some of our favorite horror sequences in the Fellowship of the Ring, and looked at the massive amount of horror influence in the two towers. But we ran out of time for The Return of the King. So yeah, if you missed last week, you should probably go back and check that out first, as you should always watch part one before part two. Usually. Usually. I'm trying to think of an exception. Star Wars? Where you'd watch Empire first? <laughs> I mean, it is the best movie. But I just I, don't know if you should watch it first. I mean, but you know, like they have it in episode one, two, they have it out of order. Yeah, oh, shit. I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Star Wars is... It's a special case. Star Wars is <laughs> fucked now. George Lucas is special. But under our, our favorite trilogy, the end of it, rather, uh, we're going to be going about uh, Return of the King, of course, third movie. And we're going to do deep dives into the same things that we did with the last ones. We're going to talk about the lighting, the art direction, the cinematography, the sound design, uh, and the editing. Yeah. And we defined these uh, uh, in last week's episode in depth. So again, check that out, please. Go review. But for today's episode, The Return of the King. Yes. The moment you've all been waiting for. (laughs) And we kind of realized, or I should say Danny kind of realized this as we were getting into it a little a little later on the the return of the king has a lot to it and it deserves its own episode we think turns out it's a pretty complex film you guys but yeah um return of the king is not only one of the most beloved films of all time it is also one of the most critically lauded films ever and i don't like i'm not like shit you not yeah. ever 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 these are really high scores like yeah let's why don't you read those scores for us trev yeah we got uh, a 94 percent on rotten tomatoes with over 200 reviews but that's yeah 
94 out of 100 on Metacritic, so like the same score. Yep. Uh, and an A plus on Cinema Score. A plus. A plus. That's as good as it gets, right, for Cinema Score. And that's not even getting into the Academy Awards. And check out. Let's hear from my. Uh, I think the only person that knows more Academy Awards trivia than I do, probably Joe. Why don't you read us uh, the eleven? nominations <laughs> yeah 11 i i do think some of it was almost like because neither of the other two films got nominated right uh no they all got nominated for best picture i'm pretty sure did they really yeah okay yeah. but yeah 11 academy awards best picture best director best adapted screenplay best original score best original song best visual effects best art direction best costume design best makeup best sound mixing best film editing I always think of I think of the the chainmail people getting there. Yeah, just did finally, they, finally getting win? their goddamn Oscar. Did they win for best costume design? They won for everything, bud. Oh, yeah, yeah clean, clean oh. sweep. Yeah, so matching so that's eleven wins, eleven nominations. It's matching the highest ever with Titanic and Ben Hur, who both won eleven. But it is also the highest clean sweep of, uh, of the Academy Awards, meaning they won everything they were nominated for. That's passing the previous record of nine with Gigi from 1958 and The Last Emperor from 1987. Just in case you were wondering. Just in case. I feel like it's kind of surprising to have the third in a trilogy be like critically the best out of, out of anything. Well, I think what Joe was about to say earlier but kind of then didn't is that you, you kind of... <laughs> I, I caught your vibe. You were going to say that these this awards these awards kind of apply to the whole trilogy is what you were going to say. Yeah, right? I think there's a little bit of the critics being like, okay, he made three amazing films. Yeah. We didn't fully recognize the first two, so right. we're going to give him sort of credit for the whole trilogy. For the whole damn thing, yeah. yeah. But no acting noms. Yeah, and think that's the thing too, and we've mentioned this on the show before. So it won 11, clean sweep, but it's the only film to ever do that with no acting nominations. Not a single one. Not even for our guy. Hugo Weaving. No. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to say Bernard Hill? I was gonna, Yeah, I was going to say, I, I never even finished. Yeah, Bernard Hill. Is who yeah, I, I think about. if anybody deserved an Oscar, it was Bernard Hill. I, for, I think Elijah Wood could have gotten one. Elijah Wood probably could have. And too. Ian McKellen, too. Yeah. But even yeah, though. no, I mean, I think... Bernard Hill gave like a tour de force performance, though. I think it is, it stood out. Let's not opinion. forget best supporting actor, Sean Astin. Yeah. Can, can, yeah. Okay. We can't bitch about the Academy oh. Awards the whole time because they, they <laughs> yeah. fucking, yeah. They fucking yeah. suck. So. Wait. You, and Andy Serkis. Oh, that's oh, the most egregious. That, I think that one's got to be. We can all agree on that, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Andy let's Serkis. close this conversation with the agreement that Andy Serkis got fucked harder than anybody involved in this film. Shafted. 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 Yep. An official KOT fucking shafted for Andy Serkis. <laughs> shafted. You, my friend, were shafted. If you're ever in Minnesota, we'll give you a, a shafted award. Yes. I wonder what that would be. <laughs> what we'll we make as a shafted We'll come award. up with something. Okay, so, so all these accolades, all these accolades, right? Sh super beloved film. Um, by overwhelming consensus, though, that one of the things that almost all the reviews say is that it is an incredibly effective film emotionally. It makes you feel the feels. You feel shit when you watch The Return of the King. How is that not the acting? Uh, I don't, I'm sorry, don't I even, it yeah, back dude, up. I, yeah, yeah, we can't talk. Uh, yeah, uh, the Academy Awards suck for m millions of reasons. That's and one. 
That's fucking one of them. Mm-hmm. Bro, Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas for Best Picture. <laughs> I mean, are you fucking serious? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I brought this back up. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's we move could, on. We'll do some, uh, some fucking companion piece about us just bitching about the Academy for <laughs> an hour. 2004 crash. crash oh my god crash is one of the worst best picture nominees like uh, winners i've ever seen i'm sorry okay let's get into it guys the return of the king the, the return of the king yeah but so the film is incredibly emotionally effective and we are here to say that is in no small part due to the effectiveness of the horror sequences yeah that's really what makes heavy parts of the movie hit right yes like, in my opinion at least mm-hmm. it, it raises the stakes like there's war going on exactly. the, the scary shit makes the, the action more intense yeah yeah like what do you remember about watching a movie that you were thrilled and chilled or, or you know like that's the the number one thing you always remember like it got my heart racing you know? yeah, i was yeah. on the edge of my seat exactly it uh it also has an amazing prologue for each every oh, yeah. film of the trilogy in Return of the King, it gives us a bunch of additional background information on Gollum's origin, and it also sets the tone for the third film. It's a much darker tone than the first two films. Yeah, noticeably so. Right, noticeably darker. And uh, Jackson does this by doing uh, what, what we in the biz like to call a tone setter. This is when Peter Jackson, he masterfully sets the tone with this extreme shift in this, in this scene. Yeah, so he does a tone, to believe it or not, he does a tone shift as a tone setter, if that makes sense to you. It's using tone to change the tone? Yes. Oh, well, that makes total sense, yeah. He's doing using a tone shift to shift the tone, yeah. I like the tone of that. Yeah. So what scene are we talking about? We're just, uh, this is in the prologue. We have a flashback chronicling how Smeagol became uh, the, uh, the owner of the ring, right? It shows how Deagle found the ring at the bottom of the river after being pulled in by the big fish. And it shows Smeagol becoming enraged and strangling his cousin to death to take the ring. So that, that's what we're going to analyze. Yeah, to, and, and to analyze it, we're going to split it into two parts. Yes. Yeah, and that's the, the tone shift is between the two. Right. Right. So before the ring shows up. First tone. Struggle and merger. Second tone. <laughs> yeah, two very different tones. Very, very much. <laughs> So let's start by getting into the sound design of this scene. Yeah, and this scene, like any other horror scene, relies heavily on sound design. Yeah, There's a a juxtaposition in the score. The beginning of the scene brings you back to the introduction of the Shire at the beginning of the first film, which it starts out with a lighthearted theme that's reminiscent of the songs used in the Shire in the first film. I think serene is a good word for the vibe of this and they're having deagle and smeagol are having a great time oh yeah it's a a good time yeah like smeagol's birthday they're out fishing yeah yeah and yeah it's a gentle and soft light-hearted theme and yeah just setting the scene for a peaceful day out on the river so then as deagle hooks the fish the score picks up and becomes more prominent It, uh, it ramps up more and more until deagle is pulled into the water and the score cuts for a short time the score begins the tone shift as it switches to a more ominous part, and Deagle's pulled down to the bottom, and it looks as if he might drown. I see that shift in the tone. Yeah, yeah. just it, right there. And this is when it, this is like when it really it, it falls off the edge, right? Howard Shore then goes into the theme of the ring from the last two films, right? You might remember that. I love that. It comes in with like a single violin. Exactly. It's beautiful, yeah. He did such a good job. Like all so many themes from these movies are so you just instantly recognize mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the themes are like 
characters in themselves you know what i mean it's 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 really crazy i mean that's why it won fucking everything you guys you know it's, and he's doing such a good job just like rolling the emotions like together because you know it goes from that peacefulness to that tenseness to then again the sort of peaceful thing happening yeah yeah and then you know it's gonna take off from there yeah in the ring theme it continues as deagle admires the ring in his hand it's all muddy and shit remember he's like wiping the mud off in a weird kind of like semi-sensual type of manner yeah very very delicately and lovingly like rubs mud off of this ring yeah and then as smeagol tries to grab the ring the score all but fades into the screeching sound of the temptation of the ring and whispers right you know that screeching sound Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that kind of fades in and out in the background and and gets more pronounced as the scene goes on yeah it reminds me of the screeching sounds at the beginning of the texas chainsaw massacre as you're doing the the prologue that oh yeah yeah yeah. oh yeah i can totally feel that yeah yeah that's a vibe right so this is when deagle and smeagle begin to struggle with each other and the screeches come on and as smeagle grabs deagle by the throat the sound of drums begin to accompany the screeches and this is as the murder begins the drum beats get louder and faster and they essentially are mimicking the beating heart of deagle as it comes to a climax and then begins to slow down and eventually stops altogether into silence right Uh, but it's never just silence because when the ring theme fades away the voice of sauron can be heard as smeagol takes the ring from deagle's lifeless hand hell yeah just whispering to him like yeah dude sound design is everything in this scene he does such a good job too of just setting up how how tragic Gollum's backstory is. Right. All, all great creatures or monsters have to have a tragic uh, a tragic background. Um, and yeah, it also just showcases that the ring is really the real monster, not Gollum or Deagle. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It, yeah. it really does prove just how helpless beings are in front of it. Yeah, it really does. And then just on a practical note, if any listeners find themselves in Deagle's situation... <laughs> Don't be afraid to do the Bobby Hill method of self-defense. Yes. <laughs> and just kick him. Just kick him. That's what I was thinking. I was like, just kick him in the balls, Deagle. Yeah. Take the ring and run. Yeah. That's a, that's one of the solutions that's always that's 50% of the time is going to be at, at, at hand for you. Actually, let's be honest. Men are more violent than women. It's more than 50% of the <laughs> time. Most, of the, most right? of the time. Sorry, guys. It's true. <laughs> Shall we get into... The masterful editing. Editing, editing, yes. The editing style, the first part of the scene, is fairly laid back and standard. Uh, helps to put us at ease with a calming day at the river. With, you know, same with just the sound that we were talking about. And the, the duration of the shots in the beginning, they tend to be a bit longer, adding to the kind of laid back nature. You kind of get to take it all in, uh, take all the nature and the lights and just the beautifulness. And even when the excitement builds as Deagle hooks the fish, the duration of the shots are still longer. And most of the heavy heavy lifting here is done by the score and not the editing. Yeah, the editing is almost like I don't want to say lazy, but if it is lazy, it's on purpose. Yeah, it's it's kind mm-hmm. of um, it's it, it's not the main focus. Like it's right it's and in you, the background, and you'll see why here in a second. It's not the thing you notice about this scene when you watch it. That's for sure. So another thing worth noting in this scene is the shot is the shot of the ring being picked up from the mud. Uh, Peter Jackson definitely recycles the same shot from the prologue of the Fellowship, and this is a brilliant way to make viewers' minds connect the two prologues with a visual link. We were meant to think that that was Smeagol's hand then, 
But we know now that that's not the truth. Yeah, it's Deagle. It was Deagle. It was Deagle all along. Yeah, it was Deagle who we saw in that shot in the first prologue. Not Smeagol. We just kind of assumed that Smeagol took the ring from the river. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We didn't know the truth until now. He murdered for it. He killed for it. Deagle, the shortest lived ring bearer. Yeah, yeah. Pour one out for the shortest lived <laughs> ring bearer. Like minutes. Deagle minutes. had it for moments. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also, another good editing trick is the shot when Smeagol sees the ring for the first time. Oh, hell yeah. This is awesome. He enters the shot from the left. It's a handheld close-up, which adds a sense of realism to the moment with the minimal jerking motion of the camera when it's moved. This is probably the longest shot duration in the sequence. 100%. It is. Uh, yeah, it is probably the longest. And then just talking about Andy Serkis's acting skills again. He, oh, yeah. He does such a good job. And this is, is this the first time we've seen him as yeah. like a human yep. character? Yep. Yeah. This is the the only time in the trilogy we actually get to see his real ass human face. And he kills it. Kills it. Yeah. You can just see by this the astonished look on his face that everything is different now. Yeah. Now that that ring has been involved, everything, there's a tone shift, right? Something has just happened. And then if you look closely, you can see the ring reflected gleaming in Andy Serkis's eyes. That's only that's only on the Blu-ray? That was a joke that I put in the outline because uh, you can only see it in HD probably because I remember watching this film uh, in standard definition way back in the day and you could never see something like that. And I've only noticed this for the first time because as I was analyzing those scenes, I paused it on Andy Serkis's face because I was looking at how long the shot duration was. And as I noticed, you can see at the at the bottom right corner of his eye, you can see a little golden ring. The details. Of light. The details, man. I don't know if that's CGI or practical or how they did that or if it's coincidence, but it's there. That reminds me of that moment when you and I were watching The Fellowship for the first time on Blu-ray. <laughs> on Blu-ray for the first time. And at right after Whole the, other movie. Right after uh, Aragorn leads the hobbits out of Bree, the first shot of them in the forest, they're like going up a hill. I never noticed, we never noticed it until we saw it in Blu-ray, but... You can see Bree, Bree back there. Bree's in the background. You, there's smoke mm. coming out of the chimneys and everything. Yeah. yeah. Never saw that before. I saw, yeah, because the first time, I'm used to seeing the Fellowship on uh, VHS. That's how I first watched it. Yeah. Did you have the VHS, Joe? I think we had a DVD. Oh, rich enough, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so yeah, that's a Blu-ray. You can only see that in HD, baby. Um, yeah, this is another fun edit. Uh, this, when Smeagol snaps, right? There's a visual cue for when Smeagol finally goes insane. And it's in the editing. Um, uh, the editing of this scene is uh, its overall pretty restrained, right? It uses relatively long takes throughout, even though the, uh, the violent action is happening right yeah this is how it lends a sense of brutality to the scene it's almost like it's literally forcing the viewer to watch this horrific act yeah just drawing it out with this long shot and making you watch it yeah just kind of holding your like clockwork orange style right your eyes are fucking <laughs> yeah. holding Look your away. eyelids open yeah, yeah. And uh, so this trick is used often in a subgenre of horror that is called extreme horror. And these are films that are not for everyone. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I do not recommend you watch any of these movies at this juncture. But uh, <laughs> most of the time, violence is cut around in films. And it's not actually directly shown. It's mostly in your imagination, right? It's off screen. But long takes force the viewer to endure the full brutality 
of the act. Yeah, it's like you're being held hostage. Yes, you cannot look away. And what are some famous Joe film history nerd? Let's let's hear some famous examples of the long take forcing you to watch brutality. I feel the first one I thought of, and I feel like what everyone thinks of is the hallway brawl in everybody. Uh, Park Chan Wook's old boy. Yes, uh, from two thousand three. Really violent. Uh, that's a really violent film. movie yeah yeah um but that scene is very long and very brutal just one guy with a hammer versus 50 other guys 50 other guys with random weapons uh and this one i came up with uh because i'm a sick fuck uh the uh the camcorder footage scene in henry portrait of a serial killer right the john mcnaughton film from 1986 right it was actually made in 1984, but they couldn't find anybody to distribute the movie for two years. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? It's a very disturbing film. You've seen Henry, right? Oh, yeah. You made me watch it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was <laughs> oh, early yeah, on. Abso- absolutely. Yeah. Henry's great. Isn't he a serial killer? Wow. Yeah. It's based on Henry Lee Lucas. Lightly based on Henry Lee but Lucas. But you think serial killers are great now, huh? They're interesting people. Wow. <laughs> pretty fucked up. It's pretty fucked up. They do say. some weird things. Yeah. Like kill in a serial fashion. Yeah, exactly. The um Joe came up with this one but probably won't admit it. The <laughs> the, the really the really, really awful scene that everyone knows who's seen this film what we're talking about, Irreversible, two thousand two. Another long take of brutal violence that you're made to watch. It's on my I'll have to check it out. <laughs> You've seen it. You, he's been telling me to watch it for a while. Um, it's very disturbing, apparently. Uh, and uh, also, I came up with this one. One of the many awful scenes in Megan is Missing from 2011. And honestly, guys, I cannot say this strongly enough. Honestly, fuck that movie. Fuck Megan is Missing so fucking hard. Only watch that movie if you fucking hate yourself. I watched it by myself one time because it's a short movie and I didn't have much time. And I was like, I'd heard this was fucked. I put it in, and I think you guys remember, because I was on Discord, and before the movie was even over, I was like, I don't tap out of movies, but I knew the movie was going to fuck me up, so I hit everybody up on Discord, and I was like, can anybody chat right now, because, in like 20 minutes, because this movie fucked me up. And then I got on and just was (laughs) just a distraught mess uh, on Discord. (laughs) It's a fucked up movie, you guys. Fuck that movie. But to be clear, it's not necessarily that it's bad it's that it's extremely effective it's effective very effective i would not call it effective i would not call it a bad movie i would call it a very effective movie a terrifying movie right yeah the one cut in this sequence that seems to be somewhat out of place is a shot that is a smash cut right near the beginning of the murder as smeagol grabs deagle's throat peter jackson smash cuts to a frantic shot of the trees and it sweeps up away among the treetops and then cuts back to the murder yeah it's kind of like a it starts off like on the ground like toward the pointed toward the ground out of focus and then sweeps up into like a j shape up to the top of the trees and into the sky very strange shot to be in there it's a perfect visual representation of Smeagol's mind beginning to snap. Yeah, because that's the moment when, because Deagle grabs him by the throat, right? And then he grabs Deagle by the throat. And then when he does that, that's when it, it, it cuts to that shot of the trees. That's the visual cue that he's totally lost touch with most of anything other than getting that fucking ring. <laughs> Just whoop. Yeah. There goes my mind. Yep. Fun camera work. Speaking of camera work, let's get into the cinematography of this yeah, scene. how the camera moves, right? 
So during this part of the scene is when we switch to handheld camera. And something to note about the cinematography is the noticeable switch from stationary shots to mostly handheld, highly fluid shots. It makes things a little more chaotic. Yeah, while the editing is restrained, the cinematography is not in that regard. Um, it, this adds to the brutality of the murder, which kind of mimics real life in a sense. Like you see things... It's a mess. It's messy. It's it's it happens all real fast, but you see it clearly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, you know, it, it it mimics real life in a way. The first handheld shot, it's it's subtle. Uh, and it takes a it's a long take where Smeagol sees the ring in Deagle's hand. The second parts are a little more obvious. Almost all the shots of the murder are handheld, and this does add a ton of realism to the sequence. The with a combination of the editing, long takes, this makes the murder seem very prolonged. And it makes it all more brutal. Plus, you know, if you're, you're keeping the camera on eye level, it makes it feel more like you're witnessing something firsthand and adds to that chaos. Yeah. Right. It's a very straight on very eye level angle. First person view mm -hmm. kind of. It's personal almost at that point. Yeah. The camera even kind of follows eye level, the two down to the ground, as if you're kind of part of the tussle or like watching it from the ground. You're the witness. You're witnessing it. Yeah. That's Yeah. The handheld really makes you feel like you're just kind of hanging out there watching just, yeah watching. Just, just watching a murder this yeah. brutal fucking murder <laughs> yeah that's yeah. why this movie's pg-13 for a reason you guys mm -hmm. and the editing is still laid back but the cinematography is kind of frantic and real it's it's a it's a weird uh, kind of juxtaposition that they do and it makes it super fucking brutal you guys and that's why this movie is rated pg-13 for a reason they they're okay so just as like a quick digest a whole lot of shit happens in this one scene just like roller coaster of emotions the tone shift is yeah it, yeah that that it changes tone like a couple of times in there just mm -hmm. kind of like it it has this like a couple of hills that you go over yep really it's like you you have a, a little mini journey before the rest of well yeah the uh so my friend or our friend uh thomas he's the only um other person i know that's as big of a horror nerd as me and joe um he when he watched this film the return of the king for the first time he like looked at me after the prologue and he goes that was just some straight up horror movie shit like that was a mini little fucking horror movie that we just watched yes. a, a short horror film and i was like yeah dude like they're they're all over and there's little tiny horror films in this huge epic all over the place mm -hmm. it's so true yeah, and let's get into uh, one of the the other very iconic scene in uh, in this one is notorious with certain types of people. Mm. This one scared the shit out of me as a kid. That's yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, those types of people are arachnophobes. People ar arachnophobes around the world are absolutely terrified of this scene, and that's the Shelob's lair sequence. Yeah, trigger warning, giant spider. Trigger warning, big, creepy, crawly thing. Yeah, and my friend Sam, who introduced me to Tolkien, I've talked about him on the show before, he was a huge arachnophobe. He could not even watch this scene. He put his hands over his face and shuddered <laughs> throughout the whole thing. It was it was crazy. That was me during Eight-Legged Freaks. Oh my God, yeah. That movie yeah. scared me. What a terrifying film. Yeah, those giant CGI monsters. <laughs> Awful. Now, we, we, I don't think we're cued into this in the movie at all, but like... Shelob's lair. There, there are other giant spiders, aren't there? Yeah. She like her brood is there, right? No, she ate them all. She oh, ate at all the this ones point, there. she ate them all. Okay. Yeah, she ate them all, and she lives there alone. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we know whether or not she's the last of the giant spiders, but she did come from a. Uh, other giant spiders the mm. ones from balerian mm. goliath mm -hmm. i'm just trying to imagine how much more terrifying she loves lair would be if you're there and if then, there were more and there are more spiders that would oh, be yeah. horrifying 
I, read, I suppose there's the spiders of Mirkwood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right next door? Yeah, more or less. I read Sauron referred to her as his cat. Is that true? I don't... Not that I know of. Oh, okay. It could, my, it my could little, be. My kid, little kitty Sheila. I think... Are you just? Point, ga- are someone you, did you actually hear that? You just gaslighting? No, I read it. Some I was reading about Shelob's backstory, and yeah, it at was one in point there. there's someone references her orc? staying on the doorstep or something for him, and I can't quite remember. Oh, it's one of the orcs, huh? It might be. I'm not sure. When Sam's listening to them, when he's got the ring on, I well, think, that's uh, when they call Gollum her Shelob's sneak. Yeah, his yeah. So it might be. It might be in that part. Yeah, I think I, I think I know what you're talking about. All that's of pretty you. good good info to bring i didn't that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah holy i shit. thought it was kind of cute too that yeah it's so cute as a kitty it's <laughs> just a little kitty what if he stops by to pet her with his eye <laughs> give her some orcs to play with <laughs> a giant disembodied eye <laughs> yeah. yeah crazy enough uh for all the cat lovers out there in the book of lost tales of the early version of the silmarillion sauron is actually the sauron character is a cat named telvildo He's a sorcerer cat. Sorcerer fucking cat. Like, what kind of sorcerer are you talking? He does all the same th- shit that Sauron does in Baron and Luthien, yeah, except a it's sorcerer. a cat. Except it's, okay. It's a big sentient it's cat. cat form. Okay. Yeah, he's, it's Sauron in cat form, dude. Hell yeah. It okay. doesn't even say mountain lion or anything. It just says it's cat. cat. It's yeah. just giant. It's just a big cat. Felis catus, uh, domestic house cat. <laughs> I'm like picturing a cat with the Sauron head helmet yeah, thing. Dude. Yeah, dude. Like... Yeah, that'd be so fucking funny. <laughs> Well, we're not talking about cats right now. We're talking about Sheila. Yeah, we're talking about a big spider. We're talking about spiders. (laughs) So we're going to be looking at this, and we're pasting this scene together from two different parts of the movie because it is bisected by Frodo and Gollum's confrontation and also Frodo's Galadriel cutaway. Oh, yeah. Yep. When he hallucinates. Yep. Right. So we're doing two parts here that aren't actually consecutive in the film, but they are one scene. What is the scene? Yeah. Frodo makes his way without Sam into the tunnels. And the path of uh, Kirith Ungol. Gollum leads him into a filthy tunnel where he abandons him, because that's what Gollum would do. Yep. Uh, Frodo begins to panic as he realizes he has been abandoned. So he makes his way around the tunnels and slowly discovers that it's inhabited by the giant spider demon known as Shelob. Nice. <laughs> and what do you do when you see a giant spider? You run away! But as Frodo did, he lost sting in the process. Boo. Boo. So around now, this is when Gollum fucks off and the spider stalks and stings Frodo, wrapping him up in webs. And this scene gradually builds tension and then comes to a head with the big reveal of Shelob and the whole subsequent t- subsequent chase. Yeah, and we mentioned this in last week's episode. Peter Jackson uh, knows a lot about Creature Feature, and he's got chops, Creature Feature chops. And yeah, he, he definitely does good. Yeah, he uses that in... Uh, in this as well, the the big reveal is super cool. You know, it's scary. It's scary. Shelob's so gross. He does. Jeez, he yeah. does such a good job yeah. at giving his creatures always have like texture. Like you can mm-hmm. almost imagine how they nasty they feel. Mm-hmm. That art direction, man. Yeah, we'll get to it. Let's look at how Peter Jackson builds senses of horror and dread and disgust in this scene. Uh, let's start with the cinematography, right? So the cinematography can be described as dreadful and frantic. Uh, <laughs> Pretty well, yeah. Yeah. The best thing Peter Jackson does to build dread is yet another good dolly zoom shot when he sees the spider or when the spider's coming at, at Frodo and there's just that cool zoom. No, the dolly zoom is actually in uh, before he even enters the cave. Oh. It's when he looks down. He's like, I got to go in there. Oh, that's and right. it's very slight, but it's there. Yeah, it's at right as he looks down. The Gollum says, "Yeah, we need to go down there." And then he looks down, and it's a slight dolly zoom 
that gives you the sense that uh, it's and it's a tracking back and zooming in dolly zoom, and it makes the tunnel visually distort. Oh yeah, just like the ring wraiths on the road. Mm-hmm. And it gives us a sense of dread and makes us uh, afraid of the long, scary tunnel. Essentially, it's like literally tunnel vision. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It is, it is a little more subtle than the one in the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, definitely a lot more subtle. But yeah, it, it really gives you the sense that the tunnel's stretching out before you and just, yeah, almost like you're entering somewhere where like time and space doesn't exist. Yeah, and it's almost like welcoming in a certain way. I yeah, got like that vibe. Like, you to end come on, way. buddy. <laughs> you know yeah, you like want alluring. to come it's into my web almost makes it feel kind of alive and just malicious i don't know yeah it does give it a a malicious uncomfortable yeah so as frodo gets deeper and deeper into this cave we see some more fluid long shots of frodo wandering the tunnels and this fluidity implies that there is some unknown presence stalking frodo the camera even creeps from corner to corner to watch frodo from afar yeah we assume that this might be the a pov a point of view shot of some unknown creature right something yeah. that can get up there too like in yeah. spots you you don't think to yeah, look yeah and it's like peeking around from the back yep yeah uh, almost all the shots in this sequence are fluid uh, sometimes subtle but it's always there and the motion gives us a sense of being almost like slowly dragged towards some kind of impending doom right uh, and we're saying fluid so it's like the camera's always moving right just right? even if it's ever so slight it's it is moving okay yeah. i can see how that would uh, maybe give you a sense of panic because things are always going yeah it's yeah you're kind of being you're never really settling mm-hmm. in one place it's just yeah. yep exactly yeah some of it is subtle there are some like slight zooming close-ups of the filth that's in the cave as right. frodo tries to get his bearings mm. showing off that art direction yeah yeah it's it's really it looks great there's corpses of animals and people shown wrapped up in webs i really liked when the camera moves in a little bit on this skeleton that's hanging upside down with their jaw open and disjointed and it just looks like they died and like screaming in agony in the worst possible way oh totally yep and yeah the the slight zoom or push in feels like PJ is shoving us towards something disgusting. I mean, which he is. <laughs> he literally yeah, is. Kind of literally <laughs> is, yeah. And yeah, normally you you want to always see what's happening on screen, but with moments like that, horror moments, uh, it almost inverts that because um, you're just as frightened or disturbed as the character and you almost don't want to see. You don't want to be shown. Right. Unless you're a sicko like some of us. <laughs> like... Some of us in this room. And um, yeah, that that does a ton to make you aware that the cave is not only dark and scary, but gross as well. Um, I was reading that tarantulas will poop in like a corner. So I can't imagine what thousands of years of tarantula poop. poop. Oh my God. It must (laughs) be awful. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm glad he didn't. That would have been a scene, though, if Frodo ran into that room. Start slipping on spider shit. Dude, what if, like, the whole side of the mountain was just painted with spider <laughs> shit? Like, like it had trickled down through the crevices. I, I imagine that the the anti-light or whatever would also radiate from her poop quite, oh, quite yeah. immensely. Yeah. So it would almost be like an anti-light, an anti-light fall poop of liquid. Poop, poop liquid down the side of a mountain. <laughs> uh, just yeah. be a dark side of a mountain that smells like shit yeah i'd yeah, like this is, i don't know why we didn't get writing jobs on lord of the rings yeah, we, were, too, we were too young <laughs> we were too young we were too young yeah, yeah. yeah. i like mm-hmm. to think she just goes to the top of the mountain right there's like a little cave exit there and there's like you're saying joel a hole just 
she just poops there, and it's just, just all it just all rolls down the side of the mountain. It's just well, the dump side. I guess if she is Sauron's cat, maybe he sends someone to like litter box Scoop duty, litter, litter, litter oh, duty. <laughs> she poops in the sand. Wait, Some are, orc getting punished. Aren't or something. these mountains kind of dark already? Would you be able to see the spider shit? I don't know what color is, uh, is spider shit, Joe. I think it's white. It kind oh, of looks white. like bird. It kind of is, has like the same consistency and stuff as like bird poop. Okay. Oh. Hmm. Joe knows a lot about it, weird she animals. Learns something new every day. <laughs> oh, all this. Also, this is exciting, especially if you listen to last week's episode. Mm-hmm. There's more Sam Raimi, yo. Gotta love some good Sam Raimi. Yeah, as Frodo's running away down the tunnel, uh, we get a special kind of tracking shot, sometimes known as the Raimi cam. Yeah, this was popularized in the Evil Dead trilogy, which we talked about extensively last week. Yes. But the shot we're talking about here, it's a shot used as the point of view shot of the Deadites zooming through the forest. Right. And uh, that's a shot when you try quickly through a uh, space while the camera swerves back and forth to Dutch angles in both directions. Yeah, it's this. So we we actually um, we made a steady cam back in the day. Out of like we made what was it called the twelve dollar steady cam or whatever the, that was the the fucking instructions it from the a, internet it yeah. had a name too, but we called it? yeah this that's the story yeah so we used it to do these weird like sweeping tracking shots touching back and forth like like we, you're describing now so we named it Ramy oh that's right it was named Ramy yeah, yeah. that's named, where you're going with this yeah it was named Ramy after Sam Ramy so yeah so the kind of shots you can get by doing that the Ramy cam it does it looks like it's like the pov of something like just frantically chasing right someone yeah exactly like you're being chased like fast by something and he uh uh peter jackson uses it several times throughout the lord of the rings trilogy and then uh one of the most iconic bits of cinematography is when frodo is stalked by shelob after his confrontation with Gollum. Yeah, this is one of the. This part is so tense. So fucked. Yeah. So creepy. He wanders slowly toward the tower of Kirith Ungol, and the spider stalks him from above. And yeah, that whole scene, it's an extremely low Dutch angle shot, and you can just see Shelob in the background just slowly descending towards Frodo. Yeah. Um, and it's actually like visually kind of reminiscent of the one we were talking about in last week's episode with a Nazgul looming over uh, the hobbits in the hollowed out tree. Mm-hmm. Remember? Evil looming yep. from above always can't escape. Yeah, him. when her legs stretch <laughs> out over the cavern above him mm-hmm. and he yeah. doesn't need to. She even like straddles the. And yeah. you're just like, ah, that's so gross. That's, this is backtracking a little, but also when he lights. The, the gift from the, the star ladriel yep. yeah and you see shelob's legs skitter in the background and then she yeah that's yeah. another really great shot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah we'll talk about the star glass and, and stuff in a little bit here actually yeah after the shot frodo hears a noise and the the camera uh frantically pants around almost like you're just looking for like yeah like frodo pov as he's like looking yeah around what is gonna to see what was that what's gonna fuck with me next you know he's looking around <laughs> straight back and forth don't don't do him and the panning is like really fast and abrupt from side to side, right? Um, and that mimics the motion of what it's like to be frantically searching for something, right? When you're scared. Yeah, like you just heard a rock fall. Yeah. When you're getting chased by a giant spider. Yeah. Pretty scary. dark, scary cave. Yeah. Pretty scary. Yeah, that's some cool cinematography. Let's get into editing. Editing also does some heavy lifting in this uh, in this scene. Again, we're bending the 180 degree rule. Yes. We talked about this in last week's episode. Filmmakers try to avoid showing anything beyond a 180 degree line of perspective. But P. 
PJ likes to break this rule. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so I've I've heard it's multiple times at this point. Yeah. Yeah. He he shoots a full three sixty this time. Yeah, and he does it to purposely disorient the fuck out of us. Showing long shots of Frodo from down the tunnels, running in each direction. Yeah, really, really, really disorients you. You and uh, gets us just as lost in the tunnels as Frodo, because we kind of knew what direction he was supposed to be moving in when he first got in there. Right. And then when he does this, breaking the hundred and eighty degree roll, like super quick for a second, that is when um the audience loses it. Yeah, the audience loses the sense of direction. Yeah, he he might as well be miles in the caves at that yeah, point. At this point, you have no fucking clue which way is up, down, whatever. And then you just have Gollum's voice echoing from God knows where. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose we don't really... Some sound design doing some heavy lifting. We don't really know how much time is passing with these as well. No. So around this point in the scene is when we also get some more of the time distortion editing. Yeah, we talked about that last week too. Yeah, if you remember back to part one, uh, this can be used really effectively to extend time and create more tension. More tension. Um, we see this when Frodo's caught in the web and Shelob is bearing down on him. So uh, here's a few different shots that are integrated into the time distortion editing. Got some long shots of Frodo strung up into the web. Got some close-ups of Frodo's feet dangling helplessly off the ground. Yeah, we got some close-ups of Frodo's face as he struggles. We also get some spider POV uh, of Frodo from behind. Um, and the camera moves around obstacles to slowly move to Frodo. That's that's also a great uh, horror loves to do the uh, the horror monster POV. Oh, yeah. So you can see that the monster is going to get you. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, POV is big in, in creature features and slasher films since uh, Halloween. What it's mm-hmm. like to see through the eyes of your killer. Yeah. Yeah. The very there's the very famous opening of Halloween. Yep. The first murder is from killer POV. You know why? Because it was one of the first horror films to um, use a Steadicam, which is a, a piece of equipment that allows you to shoot fluid handheld camera motions. One of the first movies to do that can mimic the walking of a human from with a POV. Uh, That's pretty cool. Yeah. Great, great when technology gives us cool things like that. <laughs> yeah. Halloween and Rocky are known for being <laughs> two of the first movies to use Steadicams. So some more time distortion editing in this scene. We get some close-ups of Gollum as he taunts Frodo from the end of the tunnel. And this is when Gollum even becomes scared and runs off as Shelob comes up behind Frodo. We've got long shots of Frodo struggling with the spider getting closer and closer. And finally, we have a close-up or maybe several of the stings slashing at the webs. Yeah, so all those things are cut together in a way that makes Shelob <laughs> move way slower than she would in real life and uh, makes it it's a very dreadful and tense scene. It's ve- it's full of panic too, like It's very frantic. That's that's uh, everything is happening so quickly and it's all just like sudden. Yeah, in that shot I think the shot of his feet dangling above mm-hmm. like when the webs catch him and lift him. Yeah. That one is makes us feel just helpless as shit. Mm-hmm. And then when you can see that Sting isn't doing anything mm-hmm. to the webs barely, that makes you feel even more helpless. Like, what and can I do here? During that scene in the background, you can see her slowly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Slow. She's almost moving. silhouetted, but she's like slowly walking forward yeah. up to him. Yeah, dude. So another thing that does a lot of lot of heavy lifting is uh, the sound design. 
Yes, the sound design for Shelob is really what I think grossed me out the most. Oh, totally. And one of the things we got to talk about with sound design here is sound mixing. Um, we got a little definition of sound mixing, or also known as audio mixing. It's the process by which multiple sounds are combined into one or more audio channels. Uh, in the process, a source's volume level, frequency content, dynamics, and panoramic position are manipulated or enhanced. This practical aesthetic or otherwise creative treatment is done in order to produce a finished version that is appealing to listeners. Right. So it's making everything the right volume, the right echo, the right reverb, all that stuff. And it, it also helps to just hear multiple things in a scene that exactly. you otherwise might not notice. Exactly. Mm -hmm. it really fl uh, fleshes it out with sound. So the sound mixing is great because the way the sounds interact with each other also creates a perfect sound profile for that spooky cave. Yeah, it's more atmosphere, right? There's this this scene is all about atmosphere, especially before the big reveal, right? Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. all about atmosphere. For the foley, the foley in the scene is really gross. <laughs> they did a really good job with Nasty. that. Yeah, the sound the spider makes as its limbs make the slightest noise gives the viewer a primal sensation of being disgusted by creepy crawlers. Isn't it like a creaky joint sound? Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, when its webs are manipulated and touched, it gives you the feeling that the webs are sticky and stretchy. Yeah. The snarling sound that Shelob makes is just gross. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can actively like hear these things as you're describing, as you're describing <laughs> yeah. them. It's, I hope everybody at home listening, that's happening for them as well. Cause I, I always think of his feet just squishing down on like the bones and just dead animals mm -hmm. that are just littered on the ground. Yep. I always think of the like the disgusting sloshing sound of her body when she's yeah. like moving yeah, around. Yeah. yeah, she like swings her butt over Sam, and you hear like this. Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> like a really weird. Ugh. Yeah, dude. Uh, I, one of the things that uh, I really like, one of the sounds I really like, is that like plunking shing kind of sound that it makes that sting as sting splashes at the webs. Oh, it, yeah. It kind of gives you the idea that the webs are really strong. Yeah, it almost like you can hear it being muted a little bit trying yeah. to hit him. Yeah, because we know that sting is sharp as shit, and mm -hmm. it's barely making it through those fucking webs, right? I'm surprised the webs didn't just stick to it. it well, it kind of does, because it rips it out of his hand, remember? It does kind of wrap up the blade a it, little bit. Then, yeah, those are... They're sticky. <laughs> very sticky. <laughs> They're very sticky. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder how I always wondered how Sam got it out of the webs. Yeah, because the barrel blades aren't sharp enough to cut the webs. Remember, in the book, maybe it was saliva. Maybe they found out. It was <laughs> just like <laughs> put a little spit on it, it slides right out. Spit chain. Oh, we also can't forget the sound that uh, Shelob Stinger makes as she stabs Frodo right in the gut. Yeah, later on in the scene, it's uh, not only disgusting but abrupt. Leading to one of the best jump scares in the movie, honestly. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I actually remember seeing this uh, for the first time. A few people gasped out loud, and one person even screamed when the silence was broken <laughs> by the <laughs> sound of the stinger. Yeah, I remember everyone was like, <gasps> as it, as it, ooh, you know, it just gets him, you know? Because mm -hmm. it's the sound of being got good, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's just, and then that's also some good face acting, too, by Elijah Wood. He's like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. he's probably got like a tablet in his mouth to make he's got some alka-seltzer in there alka-seltzer in there and he falls down that's how we did it for our music video this is also one of those great moments where like everything up until now has been so completely silent oh and yeah right after he falls to the ground the score picks back up and you yeah 
and it keeps going. Yeah, so let's talk about that score a little bit. The score actually builds tension in the scene by starting minimal and then going fucking hard in the end as the terror builds. As we just said, Fredo enters the cave and there is no score. The only sounds that can be heard are the sounds of uh, the cave and the wind. Yeah, slight motion of air. Real, real calm. Mm-hmm. And then the score picks up with the addition of violins when we hear the first snarl from Sheila off down a tunnel. Yeah, that's the first time the hair on the back of your neck stands up, right? Yeah, it's when that, those that, violins pick up. That ramping up of the soon-to-be terror. And the score also gets louder as Frodo runs uh, from the sound down the tunnel. Yeah, he doesn't know what it is yet. It's just some sound down there, right? Yeah. Dark cave, you go away from the sound. Yeah, dark, exactly. Yeah, you're in a dark cave. Sound, go away from it. The score is loudest and fastest when Frodo falls onto the pile of webbed, cor- uh, webbed corpses. And this lends to uh, the sense of panic and disgust as Frodo begins to understand his situation better. He's fucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> fucked. And, and in one of the most terrifying possible ways. Yeah. Yeah, when you find a bunch of other dead things just stuck in the webs, you're like, oh, no. Like, and all the, ke- all the skeletons start like falling over on him. He's like, ah. Found this monster's trash can. Yeah. If you, if you want to really see how effective the sound is, you should watch this scene on mute and then watch it unmuted. Oh, yeah. It's it's wild, the difference. That yeah, that's if you really want to see an effective sound design, Joe just, uh, I think they, they probably fucking tell you that in film school, don't they? To watch a movie, on, watch a scene on mute to um to uh get the full effect of the sound design it's a good it's a good thing to do i did that one time with uh no i watched evil dead um i watched some of like the raw footage on the dvd extras with the with no sound design and it was not very scary at all man yeah (laughs) yeah and the score in this section becomes minimal as frodo remembers that the star glass is in his pocket and he pulls it out to light the way and then at this point, the lull in the score ends when we first lay eyes on Sheila in her big reveal. And this is when the violins pick up again, giving us a sense of panic as Frodo becomes trapped in the web. Yeah. And it builds and builds and builds until Frodo finally makes his escape. And the last thing you hear is the shing of Sting being wrenched out of his hand. Let's talk about the lack of score in this scene. It can be a very effective tool of terror and uh, the lack of scores used to give us a sense of dread as frodo enters the cave almost uh, as uh, as if it's unsure if um, there's going to be danger here yeah kind of mysterious vibe you know just kind of you yeah. know you, you, you really don't know very uneasy yeah uneasiness when frodo finally realizes that Gollum has abandoned him in this creepy cave this is when the score returns telling us that it is time to start panicking. Yeah, we might be fucked. This is not right. You're all alone. In the scene where Frodo is stalked by Shelob uh, in the pass of Kirathungal, it is completely silent. It shows how silently Shelob can stalk, which for a big spider, pretty darn effective. Pretty yeah. impressive. Very terrifying. Pretty impressive. There's also no score when Frodo is eventually stung by Shelob. Not only allows us to hear the disgusting noise of the stinger, but it also the sounds of Frodo moaning as the poison has taken him. I feel like you can almost hear it being ejected into yeah, a just, tube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can hear the like the liquids. The transfer yeah. of just fluid. Like the initial yeah. shink, and then there's the... <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a different kind of movie, though, really. Sometimes. Return of the King, am I right? <laughs> Let's talk about the lighting, guys. Lighting is big in this scene. Yeah, it, it uses ultra-low-key lighting to imply that the cave is almost completely pitch black. So in film we need to see what's going on so sometimes darkness needs to be implied 
So in the scene, we can see all the webs and the filth, but Frodo cannot, or his vision is at least more limited than you know us as the viewer. Do hobbits have dark vision? They can see pretty well in the dark, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, so we basically just gather that Frodo can't really see anything until the star glass is lit up. Right. Uh, implied darkness can be pretty fucking goofy sometimes, especially in the old days of movies. They would use something called a day for night filter. Oh, I hated that shit. Um, over the camera, which is what a, is a day for night filter? So this is basically a glorified piece of smoked glass that gives the appearance of night in a brightly lit area smoked glass like in old movies when they had to shoot at nighttime but they couldn't but you light can, a night scene but you anytime you look at the sky you can see it's clearly daytime but it's just like darkened to look like as if it's nighttime have you ever seen interesting that? I, I don't know for sure but yeah and this is this looks especially goofy when shown in hd yeah <laughs> can you see like the smoke smudges or whatever it's not like literally smoke glass it's like a, a dark film it's just tint uh, that's okay. why a glorified piece of smoke glass yeah. is what i meant yeah but it, yeah it's just a film that goes over the the camera lens and it makes everything that was daytime look kind of like nighttime like dark just and grays it a little yeah it it a, a bunch yeah. of blues and grays into it right mm-hmm. um yeah watch uh bridge on the river kwai on blu-ray sometime <laughs> to understand what i'm talking about and how this looks kind of goofy at times so let's get into a little bit of the art and direction of this scary gross scene So the art direction here does a ton to set the atmosphere of horror and disgust. Let's start by talking about those webs. Oh my god, the webs. The webs in this scene are so fucking gross. They did a really good job on the webs. Yeah. They, they, I would not want to get caught (laughs) by Sheila, but those things. No, dude. They have the appearance of being moist, sticky, stretchy, and strong. Ew. There's so much, like... Isn't there like just tons of shit that's caught in it? Yeah, just like every just manner gross. of things. Yeah. yeah, just caught in it. Birds, dead birds, and all sorts mm-hmm. of shit. Yeah, the way the webs get caught in Frodo's hair and stick to his clothes and backpack and all that, his cloak, it's just, it's gross. It's, but it's so amazing that they really could, well done that they could replicate that. It's kind of crazy that the webs would still be white after, yeah. after all that dirt, and grime, and right? dead stuff. Yeah, and the amount and placement of the webs is fucking awesome. This must have taken a crazy amount of time and care. Yeah, they were super dense, I right? I can only imagine. Maybe, yeah. maybe they had the chain mail team switch to webs. To webs, When dude. you're done with that chain mail, <laughs> yeah. get on the webs. Oh, I'd, be, I'd quit. Them enough. I'd quit. <laughs> so, uh, hey, Trev, why don't you tell us how those webs were made? Ah, I would love to. Because it's really cool. These webs were created by melting elastic polymer pellets with uh, naphtha oil they were cooled down in cold water where they could be shaped into strands so they weren't actually sticky they sure looked sticky they sure looked sticky (laughs) but they weren't oh that would be movie magic right (laughs) if those were sticky having to place that oh that'd be awful you'd never be able to oh my god (laughs) right we're shooting this scene once guys (laughs) like (laughs) once and only once we've also got fake corpses everywhere oh a lot of them yeah Mm. they they do a lot to to build that sense of dread for what's about to happen but i mean it's also really gross no one's just nasty yeah no one wants to be next to a a corpse that's been there for i mean who knows how long 
Yeah, we also get to see a fucking orc skeleton, which I, I assume it's an orc skeleton. Kind of looks like a fucking like ape or something. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be an orc. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be an orc. That's pretty cool. I like that. I dig that shit. We've also got the, just the design of the cave itself. The textures of the rock look incredible. Yeah. And that's a no small part due to the lighting. And the stone actually looks gritty and wet. Yeah. Just like you would expect in any cave, right? And considering all the like the lighting and stuff that they did in there, it's even more impressive that they paid that much attention to the detail. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and the the labyrinth of tunnels that appear to just sprawl out in every given direction. It's just it's the, the crazy amount of uh, care. And this, in combination with the editing, like we talked about earlier, make this place look utterly hopeless to navigate. I think Gollum is one of the few people that actually knows the way through these caves. Yeah, and some orcs. It's some more yeah. yeah. Wouldn't want to wouldn't want to run into either of them. Oh my god! What Ask is, for directions. What is the name of that? The Polish movie that takes place all in tunnels. Uh, Canal with a K. The yeah. Andrzej Wojcia movie reminded me of that a little bit. Oh where my you're god. just lost in this hellish cave with no hope of finding your way out. That sounds awful. Yeah, Joe, it is a lot like Canal. <laughs> <laughs> you just made me like if you've if you've seen that movie, you know why. I just got really sad. <laughs> Uh, it's a very sad movie uh, made by Polish people about World War II. It's the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, and they have to like go from one end of the city to the other through the sewers, and uh, it doesn't end well for anybody. I mean, it's, it's not that similar to Lord of the Rings, I guess. But, but that kind <laughs> of specific vibe. instance, yeah, <laughs> that kind of vibe, yeah, because like some of them get lost down there, and it's yeah, it's a whole thing, yeah. But yeah, that's all we uh, have today for um, our, our deep dives of the of the uh, horror sequences of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Honestly, we could do we could ultimately do these analyses for several more episodes. I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's what we learned throughout this. Is yeah, that we could sit and talk about the horror aspects of these movies forever, forever. I mean, even if it wasn't just the horror, there's so much more we could even go into. Yeah, and we already had to split it into two episodes instead of one. Yeah, as we've just mentioned before on the podcast, they're amazing films. Super yeah. well made. Super well made. If you haven't seen them, check them out. Um, yeah, some of the scenes we could go into, uh, like some honorable mentions, confrontation of the Nazgul at Weathertop, right? We could, I love that one. That's a good one, We yeah. could take a deep dive into there. Mm-hmm. We could take a deep dive into the Dead Marshes. Also spooky. We didn't get a time, we didn't get time to talk about that. Um, yeah, it, uh, plenty, plenty more with the Witch King anything we can get into. Anything with the Witch King, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, and also anything with those Dead Men of Dunharrow. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. So many, many Halloween specials to come, guys. Maybe you never know. We'll, yeah, we we'll could, cover do, them. could do some more of this. This was fun. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I haven't done this since uh, film class in, in college, and I had a lot of fucking fun doing it. But in general, we there were a few things, just kind of horror aspects that we wanted to touch on that are just kind of overall Lord of the Rings. Yes, one of the more, I guess, general scares is jump scares. Sure. There's there's a lot of jump scares in Lord of the Rings for them not being horror films. Oh yeah, and it has some legit scary ones, right? The uh, the flashes of the eye of Sauron, right? That shit happens a lot. Oh yeah, that still gets me. Um, and the first time is when Gandalf goes to pick up the ring. Yeah. All <sighs> right. Mm-hmm. Terrible jump scares. Yeah, the sound of uh, Sauron's voice and the quick cut to his his full frame eye. It's just a, it's a great jump scare. But the the best one, the one that we have to talk about a oh, little yeah. bit in depth. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. is a meme on the internet. Even uh, it's when Bilbo goes Gollum, right? <laughs> yeah. 
And it's it's the best jump scare, and it's not even in a fucking horror sequence. No, that's why it takes it's so not, guard, you so know? guard. Yeah, it's a, it's from a movie that has horror sequences, but it's not one of them. And it's funny because I was look uh, I was looking up stuff for this episode, and I saw that it's on a bunch of lists, consistently ranked as one of the best jump scares in all of cinema. Really? Yeah, it's mm. one of the only ones that's not in a horror film. But yeah, this is when his when Bilbo's like eyes bulge out and dark pits appear around his eyes and facial features. That's such an intense transformation. Oh, it's um, the, it's the scariest. Just yeah. out of nowhere. Out of fucking nowhere. And this is a, this was achieved through a process called digital makeup. Okay. It's a digital com uh, compositing trick where CGI is used to overlay features onto something uh, that was shot in film or video. Like yeah. a Snapchat filter? Yeah, it works in a similar way to the, the yeah, the Snapchat filters do. Yeah, oh, exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. Good way to explain it. The first ever Snapchat filter. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Also some uh some horror shit that's in here. It's a pretty gory movie for being a PG thirteen fantasy adventure film, right? Yeah, the gore mm -hmm. is pretty good. Didn't they have to change the orc blood to black or something like that oh uh, yeah we talk about uh, yeah we'll talk oh, about that excuse in a, me in i'm a jump here. A second here getting ahead of myself <laughs> um yeah but the lord of the rings i think in in my opinion <laughs> the lord of the rings does not get enough credit for how gory it is so let's look at some of those parts that should be honorably mentioned when it comes to gore first and foremost let's start with those orc birthing pits under orthanc yeah. under orthanc yeah over in isengard and this is probably the most creative workaround to showing what Sauron, Saruman would have actually been doing in creating the Urukai? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we really... That would have been very, very rated R. Yes, uh, that might have been past R. That uh... Yeah, so how do they do it in this movie? A gross mud pit is covered with a membrane that encases young orcs. Oh, they're all just birthing sacks in the mud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the membrane is like cut with a knife by other orcs because apparently they can't like chew their way out or whatever like you uh, like other They've animals. They've got sharp ass teeth in the That's movies. what I'm saying. I don't know why they can't <laughs> get out on their own. Like and what kind of animal, how would that work? Like what kind of animal makes an egg that you can't get out of? Yeah, what if, like, what if, what if something you know? happens and like, you know, the person's not there to let them out? Do they? That's what I'm saying. Are they going to suffocate die? in their What if they stay know. in the oven too long? Do yeah. they turn like? too feral or oh that'd be cool what do you yeah what's an overcooked orc look an like overcooked <laughs> orc yeah i imagine they just melt back into the, the, into the pool yeah. and a new one is made so yeah the membrane's got to be cut with a knife or other tool by other smaller orcs and then lurts in the movie he actually kills the first orc he sees which is like, I wonder if that's just Lurts or like all the orcs like, that do it's that. Like they it's always, like the rite of passage when, yeah. they, when, they, when they're birthed. You must kill whoever cuts yeah. you out. Could you imagine the uh, nightmare that is dealt with by Orthanc Human Resources Division? <laughs> oh my God. Orc Resources Division, I guess. Orc, re yeah. orc sources. Is that um, just Wormtongue who does that? Yeah, it's just Wormtongue. <laughs> you gotta go talk to fucking Wormtongue. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, it just looks so fucking slimy and fucking gross. It just makes me think of like body horror. Like I know the yeah, it's so body horror. The membrane isn't really like part of their body necessarily, but it's just the whole like them it's a product of your body. It's gross. Yeah. yeah, them just bursting out of it and then just seeing them like sliding around under the membrane first is very yeah. Uh, yeah, and then they're all gross. covered in that goop, that like stringy, yeah, slimy goop. Yeah, ugh. Yeah, it's just nasty as fuck. It's hard to imagine that they come out of a nastier place than they look. Yeah, for real. 
So let's get into some other gory shit, right? Orc massacring. Yeah, there's a lot of orc genocide in Tolkien in general. Oh, oh yes. I, I feel like the orcs were just kind of created to be genocided, uh, but... Yeah, made to be murdered. Yeah, so gen- generally speaking, there's just a lot of killing in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. A lot of killing. S- specifically in The Return of the King alone, there are 836 on-screen deaths, and the vast majority of those being orc deaths. And what's the reason for that, you think, guys? Why? You can do much more violent shit to orcs in the movie than you can human creatures. I think all those beheadings that we talked about last episode were orcs. I don't know. There's no on-screen beheadings of humans. I, I'm, well, I'm almost certain of that. We see a lot of human heads at one point. Yeah, but, but we don't see them. <laughs> yeah, they're already separate. detached. Yeah. They're yeah. already detached. <laughs> PG-13, for a reason. And we also have to talk about orc cannibalism. Yeah, this was this was pretty intense for me as a kid. Like it was it was pretty gross. Oh yeah, we are all very familiar with this sequence, I'm sure. <laughs> the orcs of Isengard are complaining that they haven't had meat in three stinking days. <laughs> then we get an altercation between the orcs and one is beheaded. There's one of the beheadings. And the head yeah. actually falls right onto Pi- uh, on Pippin and Mary. Yeah, I always love drops. that little bit. That's such a Peter Jackson bit that like the head just <laughs> boop falls Whoops. on them. Yeah. And then meat is back on the menu, boys. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah. Know. <laughs> you know. And the, yeah, this is when the uh, dead orc is just viciously eaten by the other orcs. It it might even be fair to say just torn. Torn to bits. Torn yeah, to bits. Yeah. They don't even cook him. They're just like, he's already warm. I'm going to eat this. Yeah, the vast majority, this is, remember, this is PG-13, so the vast majority of the gore is off-screen, but you can, at one point, see a very distinct pile of entrails being tossed into the air as the orcs feast. Never forget, I will never forget mm -hmm. that. Imagine if they were bloody, though, Mm -hmm. then it would be R-rated. It's the fact that it looks like sausage links. I mean, that could have been sausage length. Yeah, it could have very well been just sausage (laughs) length. Orcish sausage. Yeah. I love that he didn't go like entirely overboard, but in case you were wondering what they were doing there, you realized real quick when you saw those entrails fly up in the air, you're like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, dear. And I don't know if it ever actually says in the text that orcs cannibalize each other, but I fucking love this scene. It's so fucking good. So well. So well done. So well put. And it's just Peter Jackson being himself, which. I fucking love. And he got away with it. He still got a PG-13 rating. <laughs> like some orc gets his guts ripped out and thrown <laughs> into the air. And they're like, 13-year-olds can watch this. <laughs> you got it. I feel like saying... <laughs> yeah, you got it. I feel like saying orcs cannibalize each other is a pretty big thing too, though. Like getting away with just that even. Oh, you mean lore-wise? Lore-wise, I think, yeah. I think it's such a good scene that even lore nerds like us are a fine with it's it. It's like, all right, that's a fine addition. Yeah, because yeah. like, fuck orcs, I, right? I, I guess I could see it. Maybe because I grew up with the whole movie and the scene yeah. and everything, but I could I could see orcs having to, to resort to that and being willing to, I guess. Yeah, why not? Let's talk about some more gore here. This is speaking of the heads. Yes. Speaking of the heads. The Siege of Gondor. Yeah. This is a really memorable part. And it, I would say, Joe, wouldn't you, that this is pushing that PG-13 rating a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you. it was pretty... I mean, I'd read the book, so I knew. Like, I wasn't shocked, but... This is a pretty shocking thing, especially yeah. if you're, I mean, it was still shocking, but if yeah. you're not expecting it, yeah, it is pretty shocking, especially since it's like people, 
I, it's funny that you should you should say that, Joe, because I've actually said on the show before, I had not read the book when the movie came out, and I could not believe that that was actually <laughs> in the fucking book yeah. when I read the book. We're, I don't, we haven't actually said... It's the scene where the severed heads are flung over the walls of Minas Tirith. Right. Yeah, the heads weren't very bloody, which is probably... It's probably how they got away with it. Yeah, because the MPAA is... Yeah, they're... They definitely, if there was a lot of blood, like if there was just blood streaming off of the, the heads as they fl- were flung over, it probably would have gotten an R. Oh, yeah. The MPAA, for some reason, oh, and that's, by the way, that's Motion Picture Association of America, dicks. The MPAA has a hard-on for the redness and amount of blood. Films have often had to mute the color of the blood to avoid higher ratings. And I immediately think of this film when I think of that. What is it, Joe? taxi driver <laughs> yes martin scorsese's taxi driver 1976 great example the red blood had to be muted to avoid an x rating actually an x really just yeah. because of blood because there was there's have you seen it i don't think so oh you fell asleep during it you piece of shit that's right <laughs> oh that's wow. right i'm so mad at you for it um you didn't get to see this part it's the end okay but it's very bloody mm-hmm. yeah any more blood on those heads and there goes your fucking pg-13 rating that's my theory, at least. That makes me think of the scene. What is this? Is it the Chamber of Mazarbul where the one orc gets instantly beheaded, just the square right in the shot? We see it get beheaded, and there's a little squirt of blood that comes out of its neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just black. <laughs> yep. But it's black, so black. it's not going to get the MPAA riled up. Yeah, it looks like old motor oil. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and if you, yeah, I'm I'm not a huge fan of the MPAA either. Oh, we're if, not either, yeah. If you want uh, to learn more about their ridiculous rating system, watch the documentary, This Film Is Not Yet Rated. Yeah, Kirby Dick documentary from 2006. That guy makes some kick-ass documentaries. Wait, the MPAA, they can be okay with a lot of violence if it's bloodless, sex, nudity, it's an R. Well, then even with, when it, in, the, in the doc goes into this too, even with sex, it's like, if it's heterosexual sex, mm-hmm. it's okay. Yeah. But if it's homosexual sex or bisexual, whatever, you know, not straight sex, mm-hmm. they get all pissed off and it's always almost, almost always NC-17 if there's too much of that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Super homophobic, these guys. Mm-hmm. I was going to jokingly say they jump for the NC-17, but you're saying that's what they actually do. Yeah, yeah. You should check out this doc sometime. It's really I'll good. have to. It's really good. So I've had this picture in my head this whole time of uh, if they were allowed to have all that blood, just how effective an extra weapon those heads would have been because then you have blood coming <laughs> down and blinding people. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's bloodborne illnesses, right? You know, <laughs> hepatitis, A, B, C. Might not kill you right now, but later. <laughs> later on. Yeah. So oh. Slow kill. And some more great, great gore effects. Some of the best gore effects that I think I saw in oh, a yeah. single scene was the mouth of Sauron. Mm. Yeah, the- and it was really fucked up. Think about this. This was only in the extended edition. I just thought of this now. This scene is only in the extended edition, which means it was not considered for the Oscar. Oh. So, mm. like, they won the the, the makeup Oscar without, without the coolest this. makeup, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just super fucking disgusting, the mouth of Sauron. A real reminder to brush those teeth to avoid gingivitis, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and chapstick. I, oh, I always, yeah, that too. I always saw the mouth of Sauron as like a chapstick commercial. Like, oh <laughs> yeah, my just, god. Yeah. Is, so is the, lore, the lore behind it is that the black tongue is so horrible that it's just rotting him? That's what this it says in the special features of uh, how the 
the costume design is made. Yeah, that his words are so evil that it cracks his lips. Yeah, that's what they said. That's insane. That's good effects. That is insane. That's really good design. Intense. Yeah, and this effect was done with a traditional uh, latex prosthetic and makeup, but was digitally enhanced to be, according to the guy in the video, 200% larger than normal. I think it's a little smaller than that, but he said 200%. It's a big mouth. It's a big fucking, yeah, it's a big fucking mouth. And uh, this is probably why it looks so good even to this day, is because it was actually fucking real. It was just enhanced to be a little larger, right? Yeah, and the, and the bonus features, you can, Jackson talks about they're discussing how to make the mouth of sauron look oh, yeah, more disturbing cool and they weren't quite sure what to do with the mouth at first and at one point they had considered turning the mouth 90 degrees sideways oh. to make it yeah, really did weird you, did you test footage of that it was weird it's that, real fucking weird sounds it's wrong it's real weird but instead, I didn't like they, it. <laughs> instead they decided your... to go with the right side up but just like enhanced like large yeah. really big and like really animated which i think it worked really well i think that 90 degree mouth would have gotten that r rating oh yeah <laughs> another gross scene truly gross the transition of Gollum. oh yeah kind of the second the second part of the uh of the scene we looked at of the scene we looked at earlier. i really wanted to dive into it but i was like i can talk about this scene for 12 more pages you know so I, I yeah i had to just choose that one part but this part is truly gross and cool and horrific as well it's really tragic too mm-hmm. it is kind of tragic you're right you just yeah you just see the process of smeagol becoming Gollum as we know him today or mm-hmm. in the other movies i don't know him right today we don't know him personally <laughs> we don't know him personally today but yeah um they do this with practical effects in contrast to most of the other times when we see Gollum and he's cgi yeah very few times it'll, it'll be like a, a prop or something like that but most of the time it's cgi right mm-hmm. yeah and it was a really cool way to see the progressions of all the different uh makeup all the way to the end where they blend them together using cgi which is really cool they did a great job with Gollum, just period yeah the, mm-hmm. and this part is yeah very standout of that of that the Gollum job mm-hmm. And then there's also a really gross scene in here that um, I can't because I love eating fish, but this shit just <laughs> too yeah. much. One of the grossest shots ever, in my opinion, this extreme close up of Gollum biting into the fish. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that it starts with like a shot of you seeing the fish's head alive, like yep. slowly going up to Gollum, and then it cuts to him just and you're like, biting are they going to show it? Are they juicy, ah! juicy fish? And there's yeah. like wet and shit that spits out of his oh god just raw and wriggling yeah and this was i for for many years thought he was just biting into a real fish but um (laughs) this was achieved by using a combination of cgi layered over practical effects so they would have andy circus bite into like a fake fish and then they would have like a they would like layer the real fish texture around it and it looks super real and super fucking gross the, the dedication he would have had if he had bitten to a real fish. Yeah, <laughs> dude, that that movie uh, that we were talking about earlier, Old Boy, mm. a person eats a squid, a live squid, for the film, and it's like a long take. It's, I should have mentioned that for the long take shit. When he eats ha- the, f- it's kind of hard to watch. It's so gross. Oh god. They 
They also do the CGI layering over practical effects super well in Pan's Labyrinth. Oh yeah, Pan's when Labyrinth. The, yeah. uh, the pale man bites the into the man. bites. It bites the head off one of the fairies. Yeah. And they in real life he was biting into a condom filled with blood, and that's oh how God. they got the effect. That's awesome. Wow, that's actually really fucking intense. Yeah, the um the baby birth in uh, Children of Men is also a great example oh, of that. Oh, yeah. That shit looks real as fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real gross. All right, guys, that's pretty much all we have on Horror and the Lord of the Rings for you for our two-part special. Thanks for joining us. But some final thoughts before we go. So the Lord of the Rings may not be a horror film, but they are definitely chock full of scary, spooky, and disgusting shit. Oh, yeah. You can't deny it. Now, those moments play no small part in uh, how emotionally effective these films are. Right. And I think Peter Jackson's horror chops make him the perfect person to direct a Hollywood adaptation of The Lord of the Rings. He really, I honestly don't know who else could have done like a better job than, than him. The only person I can think of, Joe, and you're going to laugh, is dead. But <laughs> Swedish legend Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was that would never happen though. I don't. I would think. love to see a, a super metaphysical, like contemplative, <laughs> contemplative Bergman version of fucking Lord that would of the be, Rings. That would be sick. It would be fucking sick. Um, but yeah, hopefully, also, hopefully you also learn to look at these films in a different light than you're used to, and uh, hopefully, maybe you learn some things about the art of filmmaking along the way that you didn't know. But we really enjoyed these deep dive analyses, and maybe we can do some more of these in future content. Yeah, yeah. But what do we got up next week for episode 90? Holy shit. Yeah, next week, episode 90, we are starting a new trilogy. It is going to be titled Our Evil Creatures Trilogy. And next week, our first episode, we will be covering dragons. Dragons. A lot of, a lot of fun dragons in, uh, in Tolkien. I'm really, really excited to learn more about Tolkien dragons. Yeah, hold on to your underpants, man, because they are cool. Doing a deep dive on dragons, guys. Stay tuned. But thanks for listening to KOT Podcast. Um, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on new episodes. And please rate us or give us a nice review, if you'd please. And a big thank you to our patrons. Don't forget to subscribe on Patreon just to support us. And uh, subscribing there also uh, unlocks some exclusive content for you. So that's patreon.com forward slash kot podcast we also accept private one-time donations if that's more your speed so contact us on your favorite social media and we'll make it happen speaking of social media make sure you go uh, check out our social media platforms uh, we are available on discord we'll have a link in the description the probably the easiest and best way to chat with us directly and uh, post some memes and things uh, you can find us on tiktok at keep underscore on underscore tolkien underscore podcast we're on uh, x formerly twitter at kot podcast still for now find us on facebook at official keep on tolkien and uh, instagram at keep on tolkien podcast lastly uh, don't forget to check out our merch store we got some stuff on t-mail some really cool things and you can uh, find that at uh, keep dash on dash tolkien dash podcast dot dot com oh yeah one more thing before we go we'd like to thank our guest for the last two episodes joe vasky yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for lending us your knowledge and perspective. It was it was wonderful. Please come back. Always a pleasure, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. I've learned a, a lot of about film 
from you, Danny and Joe. You guys have a, a wide variety of expertise there. Apparently, apparently, apparently. <laughs> I guess I have I guess. a no. I, just, I I have a, an extensive knowledge of things that most people don't care about. But that's a great. That's the beauty of podcasting is some nerds out there love it. So. It, it's true. Fucking cool. Let's <laughs> go. You know what I mean? Let's go. I'm I am and will continue to be Danny J. And I am Joel N. I am Trevor D. I'm Joe Vasky. And we are Keep on Tolkien. Array and Tulava. Array and Tulava. Phantom of the Opera or whatever. You know what I mean? It's horror shit. No, I don't know. <laughs>